Welcome to Grazed in America podcast. I'm your host, August Horstman. Well, I'm going to hit the record button just so we're going and uh, we can continue to talk a little bit. And I'll just trim okay. off, trim off what, uh, you know, we'll try to get past some of the stuff that, uh, makes it hard to get talking because that's a, okay. That, yeah. <laughs> sometimes that's a issue. And I tell people that we're, I'm going to hit the record. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's, that's fine. I've never done one. So we'll just <laughs> see, see how it goes. If it's too bad, you can just delete it all. So, <laughs> oh yeah, that's what. That's what everybody says every time, but so far, I mean, when I go back and listen to them, I, I, I enjoy them. Well, hopefully, so, somebody gets some good out of it. That's the main thing. So yeah, yep. I talk to people that I want to talk to and that I think are doing cool, cool stuff, and I want to learn from them. So, uh, I mean, if no one else gets something, I mean, I do. I just appreciate everybody's time. You bet. You bet. Well, I appreciate you doing them. Oh yeah, always learn something from everybody. Yep, yep, agreed. So, um, now how long into your lambing are you? Um, we we started the first lamb dropped April twenty sixth or seventh, and then uh, you know it was pretty slow there. A couple days later, we had another three or four, and then it's kind of full bore now. I would guess we're probably. Oh, I'd say we're two thirds done. Um, so you know, the last the last week they've really been dropping lots and lots of lamb. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, be twenty twenty. Well, this group at my house, anyhow, they'd be twenty years or more a day dropping. It seems like so. Yeah. Um, but the the weather's been great for that. I can't complain one bit about that. So. Yeah, might not have the rain we need, but it's probably made it. Pretty dang nice for lambing, huh? Yeah, exactly. So there's always some upside to things. Yep, yep. It's it's going well. It's always we're always tickled, you know, excited for it to get here and everything, and tickled when the first lamb drops. And, but uh, about the time they're about finished, we're kind of glad it's over too. <laughs> yeah. So. How long does that normally uh, last? Um, I'd say. You know, ninety percent of them are so maybe more than that will be will won't drop in three weeks, and then there'll be a few more after that. You know, like a week after that. So it, it's usually no more than a month. If there's something late, later than that, a lot of times you know it's just uh, you still get a lamb at least, and you can sell that you or whatever. Uh huh. And and it kind of depends, you know. Um, Sometimes, like this year, we had uh, a bunch of the sheep up on cover crops, and, and we couldn't pull the, we didn't have any pens up there to pull the rams, so the rams stayed with them longer than you know a lot of people would would have them in there. But they still, you know, they still breed really tight, so we've never really had a problem with that, especially mm-hmm. breeding that time of year. You know, turn them in around the first of December. Uh. And then when do you typically like to get them pulled? 
Um, well, usually it's just kind of whenever it's handy, honestly. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, we can talk about that later now, whatever, but we, we use ram lambs that we raise ourselves and stuff. So the ones that are born in May, like these lambs being born now, we'll select ram lambs to use as breeders to use next December. So they'll be seven months old is when we're using them as breeders. And so um, sometimes, like I said, it just kind of depends. I, I had some rams in with them all along through. We pulled them off of cover crops March 15th, I think, or 14th. Um, but then a lot of times we'll pull those lambs, uh, those ram lambs earlier than that so we can still sell them as a lamb, you know, on that high Mm-hmm. Peter lamb or fat lamb market or whatever you want to say market lamb so um yeah well i mean i'd probably just uh jump in here um and continue this conversation but do you want to tell us uh who you are and and where you're located and what what you do and then we'll circle back to sure. uh some some of this other stuff we've been talking about oh yeah sure uh so i'm jeremiah markway um we, uh, I ranch in central Missouri with my family. Uh, we're in Cole and Miller County, um, mostly. We're about uh, halfway between Jeff City and Jefferson City and Lake of the Ozarks. So, um, ranch, uh, like I say, with, with my family. Um, Mom and Dad started their ranch back in 1970. Both of them kind of grew up with livestock and dairying and stuff. And, Dad's been a veterinarian for 52 years now, he's 76, and still practicing. And um, and then Mom's been by her side the whole time, running the practice and, and keeping keeping it all together, keeping the family all together. So, um, and then I've got I've got three kids, one in college, it's, uh, trying to get into vet school. They're going to start applying for vet school, and then one in high school, and then uh, an eight-year-old and She's kind of my um, right-hand man, I guess you'd say. She helps me a lot on the farm and likes it and stuff. And, mm-hmm. and then uh, getting married in June, right after the sheep school, um, to my beautiful fiance Claire. And uh, awesome. so that's, that's exciting. Um, I have a, two sisters and uh, two brothers-in-law. And um, my older sister and... Her brother, uh, I mean, her husband, they've been gone quite a while. He, he retired from the Navy, and they were all over the country and stuff, and, and they're moving back now and have moved back. They're building a house, so they're getting more involved with it and everything. Uh, my brother-in-law, uh, Bart, is a partner in the, the ranching um, right now. Dad, uh, Dad kind of backed away from it a couple years ago and, and turned it over to us. And uh, so we we work together to to get get everything done and you know kind of kind of make it make it happen. So cool. Um, yeah. Um, what all ranching enterprises do you have? We talked a little bit about the sheep. Let's plug the sheep school now too. Um, okay. And then and then we'll hit it again at the end. But just so okay. just so we don't forget it. Okay. No, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, as far as the enterprises, um, my parents have always raised quarter horses and, and they used to have paint horses too. And then we grew up, um, with 
all kinds of different beef cattle we had registered angus and commercial angus and charlet and crossbred beef cows and stuff and we backgrounded and, and grazed uh soccer cattle over the years and stuff and and then um with the horses and whatnot we liked the rope so we got we got started uh roping longhorns and coriennes and mm-hmm. and started uh figuring out that um they made pretty good mama cows so we've had coriany cows for 30 plus years now yeah and um we've done we have done and continue to do custom grazing for some clients in the summertime. And, uh, and then in 2011, we added hair sheep. So, and, uh, I've always been, or I was, I died in a wool cow man, I guess, as much as anybody, but, uh, I finally got hair sheep and, um, yeah, only, you know, I wish I'd have got them sooner. They, they've become our centerpiece enterprise. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but, um, uh, and we can talk more about them in a little bit, but yeah. So June fifth and sixth, you, you mentioned the sheep school. Mm-hmm. Um, Ray Archuleta and I put on a, a sheep and soil health school, and it's a two day school. Um, let me think. We so it we kind of we go over try to go over a little bit of everything about our operation and, and how we do it and how we raise sheep and in kind of a low input uh, manner. Yep. And uh, we, t- we talk about breeding and lambing and selection, uh, select- selection of genetics, uh, marketing, grazing, animal health and husbandry. Uh, we talk about guard dogs and fencing and infrastructure and silviculture and uh, custom grazing the cows with the sheep and all sorts of things. I, I, you know, I don't know. You were there last year. If I'm missing something, you'll have to jump in August and, and help me out there. But we tried to give them a pretty wide um, view of everything that we do. Yeah. And uh, it was. and then Ray, of course, is very, you know, he's very enthusiastic and does a great job with the soil health and talking about, you know, how grazing affects it and the nutrient cycle and the water cycle and, and uh, water infiltration and all the really the foundation of any um, profitable and healthy ranching operation, I would say. So um, it's, it's uh, you know, it's a mix of classroom time and, and outside time in the field. Last year was so stinking hot. Um, I think it was 90-some degrees both days we've had it. But if the weather, hopefully it'll be a little more, uh, conducive to being outside and, and if it cooperates we'll be outside a lot my family cooks the food and they're they're good cooks and stuff so um we feed you well and it's just a good time um and you learn a lot yeah no i i really enjoyed it um i was uh you know definitely learned a, a bunch about about sheep i mean it got me excited about about you know, diving into sheep and the benefits that they can definitely add to an operation. I mean, mm-hmm. I, and then, you know, the, just the networking side of, of the like-minded yeah. producers and, you know, that's just as important, you know, I mean, I think it wasn't at ours cause you did two of them last year. They were back to back. Right. But didn't you have some, I mean, you had people from all over, wasn't there somebody from Canada? 
Yeah, we had a lady from Quebec. Um, we had a, people from Colorado and Indiana and, oh gosh, I'm trying to think everywhere. Yeah, they were Oklahoma, lots of different places. So yeah. It was, it was pretty, and I know I have a lady from New York coming to call me the other day, so, um, this year. So, uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to, to meeting, meeting everybody. And yeah, it's, 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 it's a good group. That is a, that's really valuable on any of those um, classes or meetings or workshops, or whatever person takes this, the, the contacts and the networking, like you said, is to me is as valuable as anything. Yep. Yep. And then the tying it all back to soil health, you know, that's kind of basically the why we do anything. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Exactly. Yep. That's exactly right. Cool. Well, um, yeah. So, we were talking a little bit before we, like when we got started about your, uh, how your lambing season was going. You're, you said you're tailing off or you, you've been right in the middle of it and it's starting to slow down a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. We started, uh, we started around the first of May, a little before that was the first lamb dropped around April 26th or 7th. And I think we're about two thirds done now. It's kind of hard to tell, you know, but yeah. Um, there's a lot of lambs out there and, and, uh, we, we should be 90% done here. Oh, by next week. And then we'll have, we'll just have a few left after that, you know, so it's a pretty tight lamb in season. They, they do a pretty good job of breeding pretty tightly there, you know, breeding them the first, first of December. So, mm-hmm. uh, works, works well for us anyhow. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then, you mentioned you were using your lamb crop from, so like this year's lambs being born now, you'll go through, mm-hmm. select the rams, which will be used back on your flock in December. So born now, mm-hmm. breeding your flock in December. Right. Um, right. So what, like, is there, do you see problems like with dystocia or... Like, how do you know you pick the right lamb? You know, it seems like, do you have problems like that? Like if you pick a he- wrong bull for, for a heifer? Yeah. So, so, uh, short answer is no. Um, but the, the long answer to that is that's kind of what we do, what we do with the ram lambs. Um, so <clears throat> sort of the, I'll, I'll kind of maybe talk about the process that we, we go through and stuff. Okay. Um, we we work those lambs in uh, in July, the first of July, so they'll be about sixty days old, and uh, we'll identify the ram lambs with a just a neck collar or something we make out of a cattle tag with a piece of rope and and put it around their neck, and and then for the next thirty days we'll watch those ram lambs and try to determine uh, first of all if they're twins, and second of all if we if we like them, of course, and we like their mother. Um, you know, is she does she have a good bag? Is she in good condition? Is she potentially, hopefully, an older you that's been in the flock for a while? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, anything like that. And if we do, then we'll write those numbers down. And then when we wean, uh, we wean usually the first week of August, and um, we will mark those rams then um, as potential breeders. 
Okay, then throughout the fall, up until breeding season, we'll continue to watch them and, and we'll make our selection prior to prior to December 1st when we turn out bucks um, for which rams we're going to use. And we put those uh, rams out at about, oh, generally around 20 ram lamb, or 20 views per ram lamb. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you could probably get by with less rams than that. But what we're trying to do is we don't really think we're smart enough to pick the best ones. So we're kind of leaving that up to nature to decide yep. who's the best breeders. And also by doing that, um, we're not putting all our eggs in one basket, you know, by just breeding to a couple of mature bucks or something like that, you know. Okay. So we've got a lot of genetic diversity, even though we have a close flock, you know, there's, if you think about how that all works out and go through that, uh, there's a lot of different diversity, you know, that, that goes on there. So, mm-hmm. uh, we really, the only thing I can say about it is our, our sheep just keep getting better. I feel like she just, you know, getting, uh, easier doing and shorter and stouter and stuff like that. And we, we got them originally, um, I should back up there just a second if you if you allow me to there mm-hmm. um i used to work as an adult ag teacher at fatima high school at west Valley, and, and i worked with some farmers on uh, oh just farm financial stuff and advising them on grazing and different things like that and, uh, one of the guys i work with donnie schulter he always he had sheep and he always told me i need to get them i used to love going down to feed our sheep and decided i was going to do it uh, finally going to buy some and Harry Cope talked me into uh, he said you need to get a hold of hopping Joe and Hoss hopping down in Oklahoma and just start out right and um, so we got our first sheep from from Joe and Hoss and and uh, just two guys super knowledgeable about about sheep and sometime you need to get them on your podcast one of them if you will and tell you the whole story about how I got started with them and stuff but but anyhow, um, I guess where I'm going with that is, is they had really good sheep to start with. But even even with that, you know, the way I manage or my environment or whatever, there's still going to be some that work better for me than others. Mm-hmm. And it'd be the same if I sold sheep to someone else. There's going to be some that work well for them more so than others. You know, yeah. so um, by keeping those rams that we raise that are doing really well in their environment and their mothers are doing really well with our management. We feel like we're selecting, you know, they should get better every generation basically. And yeah. it's kind of turning the, turning the genetic crank a little faster too, uh, using those ram lambs we feel like. Yeah. Yep. I mean, they kind of say, you know, using their, the sun's back on, you know, kind of that flock, your consistency as far as, the next year's crop and your and and as far as your herd goes or your flock goes, right? It, it only gets mm-hmm. better and more consistent. Is I'm guessing that's what you're seeing. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I I understand people get concerned about it, but inbreeding and stuff like that. But I think a lot of that's unfounded fear. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, my thought always is is what who's to say that if they go and buy something from someone else that it's going to be any better than what they could produce themselves. Now, I, I understand if you just have 10 or 20 ewes or something like that, you know, and, and that's fine. But, I mean, I can understand 
going and buying uh, RAM from somebody else or whatever like that. And, yeah. you know, and we sell RAM, so I'm kind of cutting my own throat here. But I guess my point is, you know, if you're going to go buy a RAM with that um, from someone, find someone that's managing the way that you want to manage and then go that route, you know. But, yeah. Definitely. But otherwise, otherwise you can probably raise your own. And I think that goes for bulls too, but I won't get into that discussion. With <laughs> we, can get in, we can get into that in a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so you turn, you know, you put your rams out uh, and you said they were on, on cover crops. Um, and uh, one thing I had Cody Carr on, I think he's been on three times. And I mm-hmm. met him at the sheep school uh, mm-hmm. this past June. So, and I've done a lot with him since. Uh, I, he custom grazed cattle for me this past winter. Um, you know, and I, you know, I run a lot of my ideas off of him. And on mm-hmm. one of the episodes, he brought brought up, you know, grazing cover crops with with sheep, um, talking about you know, how landowners are, are like them because of the quote unquote less compaction from a smaller hoof. Uh, mm-hmm. how are you finding these cover crop deals? Are they, or your de- or are they your cover crops or, or like, how do you manage some of that stuff? Sure. Um, well, for years I'd wanted to graze cover crops and work with somebody and, and never had found the opportunity. Um, our operation is strictly perennial pastures dominated by fescue, mm-hmm. uh, Kentucky 31. So um, I found a guy about 45 miles away from us. One day I kept driving by his farm um, and this was like July, August, I guess it would have been August or September maybe. And uh, he had a diverse mix of cover crops out there, buckwheat and oats and uh, tillage radish and clover, and I can't remember what all. So I found out who he was, and uh, I just gave him a call and said, hey, this is, you know, this is what I'm thinking. Uh, I have sheep. Um, you're in, you have cover crops. Are you interested in taking, you know, your soil health to basically the next level in that? And and he was uh, he was definitely receptive at first, but a little bit, you know, kind of, he didn't know me, so he didn't know how this was going to work out. The farm had no fences on it, mm-hmm. um, and uh, they were real worried about liability of the livestock and stuff. And uh, so, you know, I kind of had to alleviate um, those fears, his fears of that and stuff, by having good insurance policy and stuff. But um, he said we'd, we'd try it, you know, and... I didn't actually get on that, those cover crops uh, two years ago until I think it was the first of December before we were able to get it fenced and put sheep out there. Yeah. And uh, he was, he was tickled to death with what the, what they did um, as far as, uh, you know, converting all that cover crops to manure and, and uh, like you said, there just, there wasn't, they didn't tear the ground up. Um, you know, they just, they just didn't cause any issues or anything like that. So while we were taking the fence up, um, we, uh, he came out there and said, well, I hope you'll be back next year, you know? And so 
this year we we again went and um, we had corn. Let's see, we had corn. This year was a little different. The last year was prevented plant beans, and so that's why he put all the oats and different things in there and had that planted so early. Mm-hmm. This year he planted uh, rye, cereal rye after corn, and um, it's 170 acres, I think. And um, we put up three strands of 14-gauge uh, electric fence with sucker rod, fiberglass sucker rod post. Um, takes us about a day to fence that. takes us about half day to take it down. Okay. And, uh, so you're fencing, yeah. you're fencing to take it down and put it back up. Yeah, because, you know, the fence just kind of the way that they operate, and a lot of farmers, I think, operate anymore, you know, um, they just don't want to, they don't want it left there. They want to brush hog around their fields and their waterways and stuff, and they don't want the fence in the way of their sprayers and, and whatnot. And I, I understand. So um, it's mm-hmm. not that much effort or investment to put down, put up and take down that fence. It's really not. Yeah. Uh, we, we were a little skeptical at first when I told them we would do it. I kind of, I thought, man, what did I get myself into? But after we did it, it's like, this isn't too bad at all. So, and since then, um, you know, there's been lots of other farmers that I know that have driven by and like, are those your sheep out there? I'm like, yeah, man, we've got cover crops too. If you ever need any more acres, you know, to graze, we should be interested. So I think the opportunities out there, mm-hmm. you just kind of got to find, in my opinion, if you try to find somebody that's interested in soil health a little bit and they will be a lot more open to it, you know, than, yeah. than someone that's not, I would think anyhow. Yeah, and I guess one thing um, I want to ask is, um, you know, know there's so much with this netting now, right? Mm -hmm. I guess just Mm -hmm. with the size flock, the distance there away from you, et cetera, it makes more sense to go through the labor of putting up and taking down a fence than it does just to get the netting and and moving them. Yeah, and honestly, August of, Two years ago on the oats and stuff, I, I kind of had busted it up into smaller breaks and uh, like a week-long break or whatever because I thought they were going to, um, they wouldn't, you know, they graze out one species of covers and leave everything out, leave something else or, you know, they wouldn't graze it evenly or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we eventually took down and gave them the whole fence. Last year was 100 acres. And they grazed it really evenly. I was really surprised. So this year, we just decided that we're really not losing uh, very much as far as utilization goes from walking down, you know, trampling or anything like that with it. So it's just, yeah, it wasn't, it's not worth, we didn't feel like it's worth that for us, like you said, being that far away and everything. So, mm-hmm. so you just give them yeah. the, fence it and give them the whole thing. Yep. With, yep. How many on, you said it was about 170 acres? Yeah, I think we put 384, five head out there. Um, I think it was like something like that. Yeah. And so a lot of, a lot of them were, uh, a lot of them were ewe lambs. Um, mm-hmm. I think there were about 80 head of, uh, adult ewes and then the rest were ewe lambs. Um, <clears throat> There, there would have probably been, we would have been able to graze even more than that, honestly, but uh, he shelled corn 
I think September 4th and planted it the next day in rye. And we thought, man, this is going to be great. He got a, he got a half inch of rain or three quarters inch rain on it or something like that. Yep. Well, it didn't, it didn't rain on it again for like 45 or 50 days. And, uh, we just didn't get the growth that we needed, you know, but even with that, there was still a lot of feed and phenomenal um, performance on the rye. They just really did good. Our ewe lamb, our inception rate um, on the rye was 88%, and uh, that's seven-month-old ewe lambs um, uh-huh. with nothing else, you know, just a rye. We didn't ultrasound the ewes. We just kind of found that it's pointless. Um, there's just very few of them that won't breed. So it's not worth the, the money to ultrasound them. But yeah, we were really tickled. I guess that, that maybe the slight downside to that is when we were ultrasounding them. And, and, and since they've started lambing, there's been uh, quite a few more ewe lambs having twins this year than they normally do. And I don't really like that. <laughs> yep. um, you know, since they're still growing and a young animal and everything. But uh, anyhow. Uh, I was going to ask about water. Do you, um, if you got them on, a, you know, do you have multiple water points to kind of keep them evenly? Do you use one? Is it, what does the water situation look like? Um, so two years ago, there was a drainage ditch that went through part of the field that they were able to access mm-hmm. uh, water from tile outlets or whatever, you know, coming through that drainage ditch. Uh, this year they had a, couple of tile outlets too but it was so dry um we did i did provide i took a a tote not it wasn't a chemical tote but same thing you know cut it in half and and i would haul water um and another tote and left the truck up there and just kind of filled those every once in a while they didn't drink a whole lot i will say you know I guess you hear different things. Some people say, oh, if they're on that flush ride, they don't need water. And that, I don't know if I necessarily agree with that. They did drink some water, especially as dry as it was. Uh, the other thing is my guard dogs have to have water. So yeah, um, I just feel better providing water. And then if they don't need it, so be it. Or don't use it, so be it. But yeah. At least I sleep better knowing it's there, you know. Yeah, that was one thing. I had just a, I mean, I got a couple, three sale barn sheep and a, and a ram mm-hmm. for my border collies. And when we went through that real cold December snap, yeah, uh, I, I broke water like they were on a pond and I broke a hole on the pond for two days in a row. And then on the third day, I realized that there was never tracks to the hole like, <laughs> and yeah. they never walked there. So then I think it stayed frozen for, uh, another week. And, yeah, you know, I went and looked to see if there was even tracks from that. I never saw anything, so I didn't didn't break water for them. Yeah. It, yeah. They're kind of crazy when it comes to comes to. It that. is. Yeah. And I've heard all kinds of different stories. Um, old timers, you know, talk about water so many day, ever so many days and different things like that out in, in a lot drier climates than us, you know, mm-hmm. but they're they're pretty amazing animal. They really are. The other thing about them, you mentioned the snow, most people may not realize that, you know, a sheep will paw through uh, to get the the grass just like a horse does. And um, they would rather paw through 10 inches of snow to get to grass if it's there than eat hay that you put out there. So 
Um, that's been our experience. Maybe our hay quality is poor. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but they do like the grass. Um, that's one other thing. Uh, that field they were on this year had very little shelter and we had some extremely cold nights, not many, but if you'll remember, um, really high winds and cold and, and some snow, uh, for a brief time up there. And they just kind of, um, they will get kind of below a terrace or something like that. And they'll kind of lay in a, in a big group and, and kind of the wind just kind of blows over them. You know, they'll get in the lowest spot they can and, and they, they fared really well with it. So, um, yeah, that's a good point. So no shelter, just right. Okay. I mean, if, if I can get them to where they have a windbreak, you know, some shelter belt or some trees or, you know, like I said, down in the drainage ditch or something, <clears throat> that's great. You know, I, I prefer that. I'm just, yeah. Uh, but they're, they, they can, they can make do with being big. Mm-hmm. Um, animal, you mentioned animal integration for, for the soil health aspect of it, right? Um, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people are trying to figure out animal integration, you know, and utilizing corn stalks. Do dry use utilize corn stalks like a dry cow will? The the leaves off of the cornfield they were on and some of the some of the husk, um, the leaves were all gone. So that they were utilizing those leaves to balance their rumen is my thought, you know, and that lush rye. Yep. And they did a really good job of that. And they do a lot better job of getting all the corn that's left out there, which although nowadays they're machinery is so efficient there's very little grain left um but yeah they do it they do a really good job of it now i've not grazed the sheep on a straight stalk field you know corn stalk Mm -hmm. uh, alone um we've talked about doing that we just haven't had the need to yet you know with the with the covers so but you know they they do an exceptional job also on soybean stuff. Well, they will clean those pods up and those beans up. I've seen that, um, told about that and I've seen it firsthand, how good a job they do with that. So you think you watch them and you think, what are you guys even eating out there? There's nothing there, but they're fat and happy. So hmm. yeah, I think, a lot of opportunities. Yeah. I think there, there is with, uh, everybody always, you know, with animal integration on, on cover cro- or on just, you know, crop ground, I think people forget about the sheep or, yeah. or they think it's too hard to manage or, you know, or maybe yeah. parasites or, but I guess it all depends on the type of sheep you and management, right? That's what it all goes back yeah. to. Yeah. And, you know, people ask about them being set stock, you know, they're in worrying worry about parasites, but typically not because it's cold and, you know, parasites shouldn't be very active in anything anyhow. Mm-hmm. And then they're they're not going back to the same fields year after year anyhow, you know. So he's got a corn bean uh, corn bean wheat rotation with cover stone in there um, after corn, and then he's got double crop beans after wheat. So anyhow, you know, we don't we won't even get around to the same field, but once every three years. Yeah. So and that breaks it, the cycle. Yeah. Yeah. Then and but that's a good point you mentioned with the animal integration. See, he was he was adamant um, that he did not want cattle on the place because he was worried about 
concoction and stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, I told him, I said, I'm not, I'm not even interested. You have, uh, you don't have any fences on the place. Um, you have no corral to get them into. Uh, you know, it's just, we can take portable panels up there and make a little catch pen for the sheep mm-hmm. and get them in and out pretty, pretty easily. You know, even if it would get super muddy to where he would be concerned about it, we could be up there and have them out of there in a day, no problem. So we, we could, a lot of people be hesitant to cattle that I don't think would be the sheep. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so when you go up there to catch them and bring them home, uh, are you using herding dogs to gather them? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I have, I have a couple of Kelpies and, um, I use my female mostly or have been, um, just, yeah, we just walk out there and send her out and gather them up and it's works slick. I mean, just works, works really easily. So, uh, yeah, and then how does that work with uh, kind of your guard dogs? I mean, because she's when when you go up there, she's not with you every time, or 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 is she? No, she's not. The for our guard dogs, we found that as long as you know, even if you <clears throat> bring a new dog out there, um, as long as you you're there with it when you introduce it they're fine with it you know it's just whenever there's a dog that goes or a coyote or something roaming across the pasture that no humans with and they're not familiar with and then they're going to get upset about it okay but yeah as long as as long as you're with that dog we've not had any problems doing that any any trouble with it cool and then do you uh does that same dog do you use it on on some of your cows too or is it just yeah sheep? no i i i uh i use it on cows too um i i need to do a better job of using my dogs honestly i use them a lot whenever um <clears throat> the ewes are dry i don't use them quite as much when there's lambs and i know that that's uh it's probably just because my dogs aren't broke good enough yeah. <laughs> to, to where they need to be um I went to a Jack Knox school here a while back and what they could, what he could do with the border calls and stuff. And I know what like Roy Cox can do with the, with the, uh, Kelpies and stuff is pretty amazing, but I'm just not quite there yet. So, <laughs> yeah. Cool. Um, yeah. and I mean, that's all stuff you're, you'll talk about right at the school. And oh yeah. Guard dogs, I think was, uh, I think that's probably everybody's biggest fear, right? With starting with sheep is that it seemed like, or at least when I was the school I was at, you know, there was a lot of questions about, about guard dogs. I know it was one of my, my big, biggest deals too. Yeah. And, and rightfully so. I mean, they, they can be, you know, a good guard dog's worth its weight in gold, literally. Um, and you can sometimes go through several of them, uh, several pups and stuff trying to get get there, you know. And it, there's a lot of growing pains raising a puppy to a three-year-old dog. Even a two-year-old pup is still, you know, can cause you some issues and stuff like that. But uh, guard dogs, yeah, they, they sometimes make you pull your hair out. Um, I would say they're probably, they're probably the biggest, if not... Uh, 
one of the top two biggest issues, you know, with, with sheep, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, but there's, there's things you can, you know, you can do to, to start off right and things you can do to, uh, to get them going and well and, and whatnot. And it's, uh, you know, it's a learning process, but yeah, that's one of the things we talk about and try to shorten that learning curve for people. Cause it, it can be a frustration for sure. Yep. Yep. And we're not going to, we won't dive into that because we don't want to give, take all of your <laughs> stuff. So they won't come, will they? <laughs> no, we don't, <laughs> but that's, uh, that is true. I mean, there, I learned a ton about guard dogs there and just how to, how to deal with them. And, you know, I think, I mean, there's definitely right ways to go about it. And, uh, when I got my two, I didn't, I don't think I had the best uh, foundation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have the yeah. knowledge. Yeah, it's you know it's and, and it's kind of like the sheep. It's important to start out with good sheep, and it's important to start out with good guard dogs. Um, you know, there's a lot of dogs advertised out there, free dogs or this and that. If someone's got a free dog, I'd be pretty leery about getting that dog. You know, there's, if it's a good dog, it's rare that it would be free. Free, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. That's a, it's a very good, very good point. Um, anything else on the, on the sheep, uh, before we switch over to cattle that I'm leaving on the table? I mean, uh, you know, Uh, I can think of, I mean, you know, we could talk about them all day as you know, and still not get through it, but that's okay. No, we can, we can go to something else. That's great. Yeah. Uh, I guess one thing is, I guess the flirting aspect of it. I mean, do you run a little bit of a flirt with them? And uh, is it the same cattle every year when you put them together? Or is it uh, new cattle, custom um, cattle? Yeah, we we kind of run them in a leader-follower deal mostly. Um, the reason that is, if someone comes to my place here, they, they see quickly that uh, shade is kind of at a premium. There's, um, you know... I have some paddocks that are missing shade for sure. And when we used to put the cows and the sheep together, especially like during lambing season, um, it's where we ran into some trouble because everybody would try to crowd around the, the, the few shade trees that there were, in particular paddocks, and then we'd have some lambs that had ruptured uh, guts, you know, or broken legs or whatever. Um, cows would accidentally step on them or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And so we kind of gotten to... Um, to where we we let the sheep in the paddock to selectively graze, and then we custom graze fall uh, calving dry cows. We usually get them around the 15th of May, graze until the uh, 15th of August, roughly so about 90 days, and we will take them behind the sheep and and then condition the grass basically for the sheep um, next time they're in there. Mm-hmm. And uh, still, it's still good. There's still a lot of good quality grass in there. Don't get me wrong. Uh, we're not making the cows suffer or anything like that. But uh, being as they're a fall calving cow, they you know, and their lower nutritional requirements that works real well for us is a you know way to utilize our extra grass and and kind of improve it for the sheep. So. Yep. Cool. So it's more of a it's a leader follower. Yeah, it's it's more of a leader follower. There's times we will put them together when they're dry at different times and stuff, but most of the time we don't. Yep. I see. Um, 
Sounds good. Well, we're going to switch over, switch gears. They can they can come to the sheep school. They can how do they find out it's uh they call you or or Yeah, um you can look on they can go to markwayranch.com or okay. or they can look on Facebook on Markway Ranch. Um there's a Facebook page. I think my sister just uh she's she's my mm, tech person i'm not very tech savvy so she's in advertisement and stuff and i think yep. she just put it out there again recently so yep uh, but uh yeah and then my my email is on the um on the markwayranch.com website so cool um yeah. sounds good and that's mm-hmm. june 5th, 5th and 6th 5th and 6th okay cool coming up quickly yeah it is hopefully uh, <laughs> you got a few seats available or we we do currently, but it is it is getting pretty full. Uh, so you know that, that's great. I'm glad glad to hear that. And yeah, that's awesome. I, uh, yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to it. Cool, um, Coriannis. Let's let's dive into those. You said you've had Coriannis for how many years? Yeah, I was talking to Dad about it yesterday, and and. Nearest I could come up with, he could come up with, was a minimum of 30 years. I don't know, it's 30 or 32 years a week, something like that. It's hard to say. Uh-huh. Uh, we got got our first ones. Um, we were team rope, and uh, so we got some longhorns, and then we got some uh, Coriannis. We kind of like the Coriannis better, just a little easier doing cow, a little smaller cow, and, and they seem like they last better in the roping pen, but... Um, but yeah, we, then we figured out that they make pretty good cows. We started, you know, keeping them, raising them, or raising some Coriannis for ourselves to rope and stuff. And, and then we started crossing beef bulls on them. And, and, uh, um, of course, you know, people thought we were crazy, but, but that's always kind of been the case. Dad, dad got into the rotational grazing back when I was probably 10 years old. So, uh, almost 40 years ago and everybody thought he was nuts for doing that you know mm-hmm. so Coriannis it was no big deal to <laughs> <laughs> it was no problem yep. but um yeah yeah we just you know as far as cows go I can't say enough good things about them now there's you know there's good Coriannis and bad Coriannis just like there's good and bad in every breed but yes sir. by and large um them being a quote unquote unimproved breed um, they're good because of that, you know. Man, man hasn't messed them up with his um, wisdom. <laughs> yeah. So. Yep, they make really good moms. I, I really like, really like them. Um, yeah, yeah. I know you. I know you've got several of them. Stuff, so they're they're yeah, not all you, created you know, equal. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. I mean, and that's that's. I, I've had a lot of people call and ask about you know, where to find them and different things like that. And then, and there's lots of places to find them, but, um, I, I would just caution people that kind of, yeah, to go look, go look at them and, and they should just look, you know, they should look like a good, healthy cow. We, we've always liked the ones that were a little thicker, a little beefier and stuff, even for roping. Um, some of the years ago, some of the roping people kind of went towards the, the bigger horned and kind of thinner, you know, made animal because they thought they would last for longer in the roping pen and stuff. But 
I don't know if I, if I believe that either, you know, because a, a more robust type animal is going to be a stronger calf. You know, they might get a little too big, but yeah. Um, but anyhow, there's, yeah, just, just be cautious there's good and bad out there. Yeah, from my understanding, like I, I, I agree with you more of a, like a bigger deep bodied type mm-hmm. is what I like. Um, yeah. And I was talking to a guy about it and from, and he actually has a few registered Corianis, and my, from my understanding is, so there's, with the Corianis, there's like a, a sport registration, you know, which are the, kind of the thinner type, you know, right. what they're calling the more athletic build, and then there's right. actually like the deep bodied type, if that makes okay. sense. So there's sure. two different kind of structures but I yeah. think from for the most part, the breed now this is all just kind of hearsay, but the breed is more as a whole focused on the athletic team roping side of it. So they're getting more Rayleigh and Yeah. Looking. But. Yeah. Well, yeah. There you go. I don't want to step on any toes, but anytime you, you have a, a breed breed association, things start going haywire. Yeah, I mean, people start selecting for single traits, and things just kind of, you know, kind of go go wrong. But yeah, or they can anyhow. I should say. Yep. Nope. I agree. I agree. I'm gonna. I'll back that up. Um, do you? So you switched over to beef bulls. Do you have a a preference of breed or breeder or type of bull that you like to use or is that a trade secret and if it's no, a trade not secret, that's fine no 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 not at all i'm sure anything um we have tried a lot of different beef bulls over the years um we've tried black angus red angus south pole charlet limousine horned herford what else I know we've tried other things. Have you tried yeah. Beefmaster? No, we never have tried any any eared cattle uh, on them. Um, I guess we didn't feel like it would complement them that much with their heat tolerance already and stuff, you know. Yep. But uh, we currently, for for the most part, we have used Charley bulls over the years, and and part of the reason is we used to have more spotted cattle than we do now. And the Charlet bull will kind of hide that or clean that hide up a little bit, you know, with mm-hmm. uh, the leader gene and whatnot. So um, that's what we've used. And then adding the, the, the frame and the muscling and stuff. Um, now I will say we've had some really good Herford cross calves and we've had really good Angus cross calves. We've had good calves with all of them to, South Pole females have been phenomenal, and of course, right now people are really after them. Uh, probably our one of our best crosses was a was a black limousine bull on him. Just the muscle that he added, you could you could. It was really surprising how how they put the flesh on those calves. Uh, currently, we're using um, oldie oldie bulls, oldie Angus bulls, or oldie mm-hmm. kite bulls. And um, just because those bulls have a lot of thickness in them too, and part of it, um, we're working with a friend of ours on doing some. Uh, he's 
he's grazing some cows or us or on shares and stuff. And that's kind of what we agreed upon. And then there's a big demand for those females also, those half-blood females. Those so, oldie Corianni females? Yeah. And um, it'd be the same way with a red Angus too, but the only problem that we've had with the red Angus is they throw, those red Angus bulls will throw a lot of tiger stripe calves. And that's fine for females, but, man, when you have to take those cattle to the sale barn, unfortunately, um, they don't, you get beat up on them pretty bad, you know. I don't understand why, but that's yeah. how it goes. Yeah. And so, what was your thoughts on the Horned Herefords? Because I have seen some some videos and stuff of, uh, you know, Horned Hereford pairs, and, I mean, those are some pretty thick, or, you know, even just some F1s as mature cows and i mean those seem like a big deep bodied set but yeah it's the same thing i think a lot of it depends mostly on the type of bull that you use if you use a really good one purple bull on those cows you're going to have good calves you know we've had good calves with them so Mm -hmm. um the you, you might you might with the herefords you might get a little more color variation you know but it kind of depends on your cows too when we first got started in them, you know, like I said, there were solid, solid colored black reds and browns, and then there were, there were spotted cattle, and um, we were told you'd never breed it out of them, and we've not found that to be true. We we found by breeding to solid colored Corianni bulls over the years, we we have a solid herd now, uh, mm-hmm. red or black mostly. So it it can be done, um, but. In that kind of then, once you get to that point, you're able to maybe, you know, it's not as big a deal what you breed them to as far as the color goes, you know, so. Yeah. So is that what you guys are doing? You guys are using Corianni cows and Corianni bulls to make your own replacement ropers? Right. So what we'll do is we'll breed a certain number of those. Um, well, we'll actually breed the two-year-old heifers. We'll rope them as yearlings, we, we, so we keep our heifers to rope, and mm-hmm. we sell their ste- uh, steer mates or bull mates to other people to rope. And we'll rope them their yearling year, and we used to turn a bull in with them, and, and we'd get some of them bred, but it's kind of hard on them when you're roping them, and they're trying to grow and raise a calf inside them and everything else, you know? So yep. we've got to where we don't even put a bull in with them until they're two years old, and um, they seem like they make a little bit better cow that way, a little more age, and I know that kind of goes against some people's thoughts about getting them bred early but but anyhow um yeah so that's how we keep our uh Corianni, you know females going and then after that um they might get bred again as a three-year-old we typically typically breed about 20 or 30 of them um you know something mm-hmm. like that every year and then the rest of the cows get bred to beef bulls so Cool. Yeah. I I enjoy them. Do you dehorn the cows once they make the beef bullpen, or do you just leave them horned? Some of both. It just kind of depends. We used to dehorn all of them in the last four or five years. We haven't dehorned any of them. And, um, they can be pretty hard on each other with those horns, but honestly, even without the horns, the old cows that are dehorned will beat up on the younger cows with horns. I mean, they just intimidate them. And, you know, so that stress is still there, even if they uh, are dehorned. 
some of those old bossy cows, you know. So, what, uh, but anyhow, we just, I don't know, probably lack of time is why we've gotten away from doing it. But Yeah, that's one thing I've seen is that uh, everybody always kind of makes that comment, well, don't you worry about your cows with horns, you know, beating up on your cows without horns. And I'm like, sometimes the horns aren't, aren't enough for what, they yeah, get that's right for what they get coming to them yeah i agree with you yeah that's exactly right um cool and i mean the sheep the team roping right it's all that's all family stuff right so what's it like working mm-hmm. working with your brother-in-law i mean i'm sure you guys get along all the time 100 percent of the time right Oh yeah, ten percent. <laughs> no, it's good. It, it's good. If there's anything that ever goes wrong, that's usually my fault, you know. And I gotta, I gotta think about what I've done, you know, or whatever. So no, he's good to work with, and and I think we work well as a team. And um, you know, it's family's family's family. It's the most wonderful thing in the world, you know. And it can be really tough too, but uh, we like kind of, I guess keep the idea that neither one of us are perfect and we just do the best we can with it and know that each other has our ourselves or each other and our their families in our best interest you know so yeah um, i mean and that's kind of i mean one thing from talking with people for the podcast i mean it all ties back to you know soil health it ties back to and that and then that can then go to you know they're doing it for for the family for the next generation right and that absolutely your dad started it because he saw saw something you know you know he saw the benefit of it right when he was rotationally grazing what you say forty yeah. years ago right so he yeah. had you you know yeah that's exactly right I mean that's like. That's like those that come to the school or you, you were here last year and saw, you know, like we talked about the, the trees and stuff that I'm protecting and planting and stuff out there. And yeah. By the time those things get to be mature and I'll be long gone, but I, I don't care. It's not for me, you know, it's for, it's for future generations. And that's, you know, I heard on a, I heard on another podcast once some guy had a really good quote and uh, he said, it's not, um, it's not ours. It's our time. Mm-hmm. And I guess that really kind of hit home. I was like, that's, that's true. I mean, that's, it's, uh, I don't know. I just, I think it's stewardship and taking care of stuff and, and leaving it better is, is a huge part of how I look at everything. So, yeah, now that sounds, uh, like a good spot to end it for tonight. To, uh, probably had a long day and got another one coming up tomorrow with, uh, lambing and everything that it holds. Yeah, actually, I hate to, hate to say, but I'm I'm gonna slip away and try to take uh, mom and dad catfishing tomorrow. We we got a, a guide gonna take us out on Truman, so we're gonna slip away for a few hours in the morning. Hopefully, everything stays uh, intact while we're gone. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, you got to do that too, right? Enjoy the time. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's right. So, cool. well, I hope you get some rain soon and send some our way if you get too much. <laughs> well. Uh... I'll do that for sure, but uh, you know, if you get rain before me, you know, you can send it my way too, and I won't, <laughs> I won't complain. Sounds good. Sounds good. And 
Yeah, we'll just plug the Sheep School one more time. That's June 5th and 6th, MarkwayRanch.com, correct? Mm-hmm. And I've seen it all over Facebook and Markway Ranch on Facebook. Yep, yep, that's great, and I sure appreciate it, August. Yeah, no problem. I appreciate uh, appreciate your time, and thanks for sharing your evening with us. You bet. We'll talk soon. All right, see ya. Right. Bye-bye.